Live. Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Ready for this. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, featuring New York sports talk and long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a bit of a doubleheader for you this week, inspired by baseball a bit. I have two parts of the podcast this week. The NFL picks are coming later in the week. I also got pop culture with John Stanko later in the week. But today, we're going to have our main guest of the week. We're going to talk about the MLB playoffs, the MLB season as a whole with Rick Cerrone, the editor of Baseball Digest, great friend of the podcast. Talk at Rick and just a bit, his take on the year that was, what's coming up, and more. Make sure you're walking into the show for the two-minute drill. I have my thoughts on this Kyrie Irving situation and the comments he made about the Nets coaching situation because, boy, oh, boy, that's interesting. That's something I've never seen before in sports, and who knows if this will actually work. I'm very skeptical. We'll see about that. But we'll start off. We'll stay on the baseball move with the opening tab. We'll take a look at the Yankees and Rays, both advancing to the American League Division Series. A little preview on my end right after this. Two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, we are back here. Opening tip. And the wild card round over. The Yankees are moving on. Not a shock to you, Yankee fans, but... They did take care of business, went to Cleveland, slept the Indians in a two-game set. Game one, not even worth discussing, was a complete route. Gary Cole did his, Gary Cole things on the mound. Yankees' bats broke out in a big way. On we go. Game number two, it was a slugfest in all sense of the word. Yankees come back to win 10-9. to DJ LeMayhew with the big go-ahead single in the ninth inning. Put the Yankees in front. They close it out. They move on, and there's a lot of things you liked if you're a Yankee fan of this series. I mean, you had some concerns about the bats coming into this series, and I think a lot of them were, a lot of those concerns were sort of swayed by, assuaged, I'm going to be fancy here, use the assuaged word, but you were felt relieved seeing what you did in this series. Offensively, I mean, obviously you mentioned DJ LeMayhew, he gets the big hit in this thing. John Carl Stanton homers twice. Gary Sanchez picked up a sack fly in a big spot. Labor Torres is crushing the baseball. Luke Voigt doing Luke Voigt things like he's doing it all 2020. All that is great. The bad, you do have some concerns about your pitching staff beyond Gary Cole. Masiro Tanaka started game two. He's usually great in the postseason. He's usually, eh, regular season, postseason, pretty good. Did not look good and got it lit up in Cleveland. Zach Britton was shaking that game. Chad Green was shaking that game. Aaron Boone did not trust Adam Adovino in the series. Did not even pitch. Now they get a matchup with the Tampa Bay Rays. And this is going to be fun. The Rays beat them 8 out of 10 during the regular season. But you can throw that all out the window. This is the first time they're meeting in the playoffs, so it's a different intensity for sure. These teams can't stand each other, so you know the match is going to be heated. The only thing that stinks is obviously because of the COVID situation that these games are not going to be played in front of home fans and home parks. This series is going to be played out in California at Petco Park in neutral fields. 
that's going to be annoying, but you also get the benefit that you'll be able to get the intensity factor heat up because out, without the fans screaming, you'll hear all the chirping. You'll hear all of the nonsense. The fan, the teams will hear it, so they'll be more fired up. You'll do a lot of up and in stuff, a lot of good stuff to watch in this series. As much as the offense is fun on both teams, the key to the series is the pitching. Tampa Bay, they are simply deeper pitching-wise. We know this. I picked this team to go to the World Series this year based on its pitching. The format helps them out a lot because the Yankees can't just, you know, pitch Garrett Cole and Tanaka five, four out of five games and just use the same bullpen guys every day. They have to get big outs from guys like Jonathan Weizaga, like Luis Sessa, like your Jonathan Holders. You're going to need two of J.A. Happ, Davey Garcia, Jordan Montgomery to start games. You're going to need Mazio Tanaka a big game too. Garrett Cole starting game one. He's going to come back game five. You need him too. They need to win his start game one because if they do not, they are in big trouble. This is a big start for this series. Garrett Cole, the best postseason pitcher on this roster, in my opinion, on the series, excuse me. But I think this is going to be fascinating to watch because the best of five, I mean, if it's a normal format, I would like the Yankees' chance a lot better. But still, you have to think the pressure is on Tampa Bay here because this is the team that beat them 8 out of 10. They've been the big bad bullies this season. The Yankees don't have as much pressure on them because everybody's saying, oh, the format's against them. Oh, they're behind behind Garrett Cole. I think they could win this series. I think whoever wins this series is going to get to the American League Championship Series easily and get to the World Series because the other side of the American League bracket right now is the A's and the Astros. They're playing out in Dodger Stadium, which is hilarious. They got the Dodgers Stadium hosting the Astros, who stole a World Series, and then with the sign stealing. But away we go. I do think it's funny. But I don't think either of those teams will match up whoever wins this series very well. The Astros are very banged up. They took advantage of a twin team that could not get out of their own way in the postseason once again. They don't have a lot of pitching depth. I think they will have a lot of trouble in a long series. The A's, good team regular season. They usually flop in the postseason. They took them three games to get by the young White Sox. We'll see what happens there. But I think it's going to be fun. I think Yankees raised. I think this is the series of the round right now of the division series. We'll see what happens there. I'm excited to see what happens in the in this series. But up next, we are going to talk to Rick Cerrone from Baseball Digest about the season and more right after this. 0-2 the count to DJ LeMahieu. A bouncer back up oh. the middle and through! Urshela comes around to score and DJ LeMahieu on an 0-2 pitch has given the Yankees a 10-9 lead. All right, I am back here on the Just End the Suffering podcast, getting ready to talk about the MLB playoffs, talk a little bit back on the season as well. Join me today, the editor of Baseball Digest, the great Rick Cerrone is here. Rick, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Wow, the great Rick Cerrone. You're putting the pressure on me, Mike. I, I think you can handle it. I've known you long enough to know All you can right. handle it. Okay, good to talk to you. It is good to talk to you, and I will say it definitely was fun to watch this baseball season. Definitely, I feel like it was going to be unique historically. Somebody who has a long background with the history of the game, like how do you think we'll put this season in context, let's say like five, ten years from now? Well, I'm not a believer that there will be an asterisk on this world champion. Uh, everybody's, I mean, there may be a mental asterisk in people's minds, but you know, the team that ultimately wins the world championship, you can imagine and you can bet that their fans are not going to be thinking that this didn't count somehow or it counted less. I remember back in, uh, 
1981, when they had the players strike in the middle of the season, wiped out roughly, oh, I don't know, 50-something games of that season, and they went to the uh, division. that They didn't have division series then, but they did that year, and then they had the LCS. Um, you know, no one looks at the 81 Dodgers as an illegitimate champion. So I think baseball did exactly what was necessary to get this season in. I commend them for that. Uh, the players, all the team personnel behind the scenes, the commissioner's office. Um, but then we can talk about maybe some of these rules changes that were implemented on the fly. And, you know, now we've got to get to the decision of, well, what do we keep and what do we get rid of? Yeah, it's actually where I wanted to go next was these rule changes. Obviously, we had a lot of them. We had the seven-inning doubleheaders came in necessity with all the games being postponed for mm-hmm. coronavirus reasons. The extra inning rule, which obviously designed to get teams out of the ballpark faster. What are your thoughts on some of those rules? And like, are there any you think that are worth keeping, or should we just like scrap heap most of these? Well, I wrote about that in my first pitch for the upcoming issue of Baseball Digest, which doesn't come out until November one. But I tried to take a look at it, and my basic point was the easy part of the job was implementing these things with impunity because everybody kind of understood what the reasons were for implementing a rule like a runner at second base in uh, in the tenth inning, and you know these things would have been considered crimes against the game against at one point, and now they were accepted with very little, if any, complaint. So. I think the tough part now is going forward and maybe not until everybody says, well, the DH is here to stay. This is here to stay. Well, let's remember that the basic agreement with the players runs out after the 2021 season. So I'm not sure anything's going to happen before that collective bargaining. So we may not see everybody says, well, the DH is here to stay. Well, not so fast. It has to be collectively bargained, I believe. So it may not reappear in the national league until 2022. But if you want to take them one at a time, hey, I'm a purist. I I thought that the runner at second in extra innings was silliness and a gimmick, but you know what? We may have something. Um, I I think it it adds interest uh, to every half inning of extra innings, no matter how long the game may go. There's There's action immediately. Oh, we've got a runner at second and no one out. And I don't believe that 18-inning games or 16-inning games serve anybody. You know, we can talk about it. Oh, what a great 16-inning game that was. But for the most part, people are not watching the later innings. People have let me look at the ballparks in in extra innings. And and you're basically wrecking the team's roster. I mean, players lose their jobs. They get sent down the next day, some to never return. So I don't believe there's a single GM or manager that would say, no, let's, let's keep the, you know, the shot at an 18 or 20 inning game. So I, I think that one may have some life. Yeah, I think that one, I th- I think the thing I like about it is I think like, it's sort of like what happens in tennis with Wimbledon where they sort of had these matches go on forever and then it sort of taints the result. I think maybe a sweet medium would be like, okay, maybe you play three regular strings and at, in the top of the 12th, you put somebody on. Uh, there you base. go. And I wrote that. I wrote that if I were to keep it, I would recommend to baseball that they play the 10th and the 11th inning in the traditional manner and add this in the 12th inning. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll compromise with you and you can add it in the 11th, but play at least the 10th and perhaps the, the, uh, the 11th inning legitimately. Now, 
the three batter minimum rule is interesting in that it seems to have been implemented seamlessly, but it didn't really accomplish anything because games took two minutes, nine inning games on average took two minutes longer than the previous year. But I don't think you can really judge the time of game based on this season because I don't know, and I have nothing to back this up, but it seems like half-inning breaks were longer, and they might may have been trying to recoup revenue with longer you know, breaks for, for advertising, which is fine. So I do think that that rule will be here to stay. Now, if I can jump in and say, let's talk about the seven-inning doubleheader. This has got to go because I get it. We understand it's just not legit. It's not legit on any level. You come back, you got a big two runs in the bottom of the seventh, and you won the game. No, you didn't. You took a 3-2 lead, a 5-4 lead after seven innings. It's not a legitimate game. Yeah, I can definitely see that argument, because especially I know it's something that the independent leagues do and the minor leagues do. Major League Baseball has never done this, and I get the idea, right. oh, like, you saved the bullpens a little bit, but, like, at the same time, wow. like, the games did go the games did go faster, but I do get the argument, you know what, this is such a tradition that baseball is nine innings, and, like, you, yeah. all you're doing it's is... It's not a baseball game, Mike. A baseball game is nine innings. Yeah. It's a nine-inning game. A football game is, three, is four quarters, three periods. You know, no one's... Now, let me throw out another thing about this that, that's very important as well. First of all, we don't really have traditional straight single admission doubleheaders anymore. So you're playing a day-night doubleheader. You're playing a game at what, eight, what 1 o'clock, clearing out the building, putting a new set of fans in there, um, two separate admissions. You cannot foist seven-inning games on split doubleheaders. Because you're not cutting ticket prices. So there's no reason to do that going forward. And the only reason I even bring this up, because someone in MLB may say, well, what is he barking at? We, we had no plans to, you know, to keep this. Well, I'm hearing a lot of people, you know, uh, you know maybe a few people, but powerful people, people uh, who people listen to that are saying, I think this is a great idea. I think... You know, this borderlines on a joke if you did it moving forward. Yeah, it's certainly worth watching going forward. I think the other thing that a lot of like, purist fans will have a say as a joke going forward is if, like, this expanded playoff system gets, does go forward right. beyond this year. And I get why they did it this year at the shorter season. I get more teams access to the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I do I do think the wild card round was, was fun this year. Having eight games on Wednesday was definitely very interesting. But, like, I don't know about you. I do feel like... If they're we're going forward, I think the extending the playoffs is a mistake because I think they had the right formula. I think doing this for money is just sort of like cutting off your nose to spite your face. I couldn't agree with you more. I I do think it was absolutely the right thing to do for this year, but going forward, I think what they did this year, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen where an A seed steps up and, and you know, bites a one seed. So, you know, we lived for many years with the one wild card where there was no there was no benefit to a team winning a division because the wild card went right to the division series against the, the, the highest seeded team. Well, then you added the two wild cards in 2012, and there was a reason, a benefit to winning the division because if you were one of the two wild cards, you had one game, a do-or-die game, to get into that, so it made sense. 
uh, now you are putting everybody talks about the best teams getting to the World Series. Well, now you're putting an unnecessary obstacle, an additional unnecessary obstacle in the path of the best teams. You're taking the the Tampa Bay Rays, who had the best record, and matching them up up with the with the eighth seed. You know, you're taking the Oakland Athletics, maybe who had the second best record, uh, perhaps in uh, in uh, in ML, uh, you know, tied for the second best record with the Twins, and you're 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 matching them up against lower seeds. In this case, you know, in the National League, where you had teams that weren't even at 500. I don't think you can do that. The Reds should not be playing the Atlanta Braves. Eight should not be playing one. So I fear that based on the excitement of this week, that baseball will like this idea, but you can't go to 16 teams. Uh, What I would think they might do from this is make the wild card a best of three. But look, they're probably going to add another two teams, but you, you can't add six teams to the postseason. And, and, and run the risk of getting a 500 or sub-500 team in the postseason. And again, you're making it more difficult for the best teams to advance to the World Series. Yeah, I think the I feel like they are dead set on it because the money will bring in and the excitement they do generate. I think the one count I make, I think they're going to make this feasible, is like if you go to 14 teams per league and not do the stupid, in my opinion, selection show where you have like teams picking right. their opponent, I think what you do yeah. is you, you put – the three division winners automatically go to the division series round. You put the four wild cards over a mini tournament where they have to knock each other out over two days to right. get that's in there. What I, that's, that's basically what I wrote. Let the wild cards fight it out for their chance to get into the a matchup with one of the three division series winners. That's, that's exactly what I wrote. But look, I'm a traditionalist, but I understand that the game evolves, things change. I mean... In 1968, the year of the pitcher, after that year, the mound was lowered. In 1973, I mean, that's that's 37, 47 years ago. The American League added the DH. Uh, you know, we went in 69, we went to, to two divisions per league. Then, you know, 20 years later, we went to three divisions. We've, we've tweaked. We've always tweaked. But I just think that, you know, we've got to cherish the game and, and not make quick decisions based on, you know, some recent trend. I mean, Major League Baseball attendance has been down every season since 2013. You know, with a, with a 100% drop in attendance this year, obviously. Um, I think it's going to be quite a while before that attendance gets back to record levels. I understand baseball desperately wants to do the right thing. I just think that this this is a very, very sensitive and difficult time for baseball because, you know, you don't want to mess with the foundations of the game, so to speak. Yeah, it's certainly true. And one thing I think it's different this year, obviously, we had the playoff bubble. They want to make sure they get these games like in and try and minimize people's time with mm-hmm. their family. So they cut the off days out of the division series in the LCS. What kind of impact do you think that's going to have? Because that's something I've never seen before. Well, it's interesting, and obviously, you know, it can be done because there's no travel, there's no fan, but the travel is the big thing. You know, well, what it's going to do? I mean, in a best of five series, I mean, you, you're, you'd be pitching your, uh, you know, your, uh, your your game one starter on three days rest in game, 
in game five. It's going to be very difficult. It, it's going to sh- show what teams have the deeper starting pitching. And I think you're going to see teams go with openers, you know, in, in certain situations. Uh, so uh, I, I think it's going to be a challenge for these teams. Uh, I think the deeper rosters are going to, are going to do obviously better than those with, with him. And I think you've seen that in this series. I think you've seen that in this series with starting pitching. Yeah, I agree with that. And we do have one fantastic series coming in the next round, the Yankees and the Rays, who can't stand each other. There's a first-ever postseason matchup between these two teams. So what's intriguing you about this series coming up with the Yankees in Tampa? Well, I picked the Yankees. You know, I, I think the Yankees should win the World Series. I do think top to bottom, you know, they have the best roster. Um I think one of the things that works in Tampa Bay's favor, and Tampa Bay is an excellent team. They play good defense. Their pitching is very deep. Uh, I I think they can match up with the Yankees. Obviously, they won 8 of 10 in the regular season, but let's remove that. You know, the other thing that I said uh, going into this postseason is that the Yankees are going into this postseason without – a very big weapon. You know what that is? I'm actually not aware of that. what that is. Uh, well, you know what? They got their players back. They got Judge back. They got Stanton back. Uh, you know what? They're, they're healthier than they've been all year. But they ain't got Yankee Stadium. And that's a really big weapon for this team. Now, they overcame that very nicely in the two games against the Indians. So I, I think that that only helps Tampa Bay, in my opinion, that they don't have to go to, to uh, you know, uh, to Yankee Stadium for for three for two games. Let's say they had, you know, they, they won the division. I mean, we can't extrapolate this out into 162 games. We don't know if they would have, but you know, they're not going to Yankee Stadium for any games. All these games are being played in a, in a neutral field that neither team has ever played in. So I think that may negate some of the Yankees' weapons. We'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, Petco Park's going to be tough for them with the because they are power-based teams. So that's obviously one of the tougher parks they home runs in, so that would be a challenge for sure. The other American League series is the A's and the Astros. This is another case where these two teams can't stand each other. I just feel like it's interesting here because the Astros have really got the luckiest break in baseball this year where they didn't have to go and have fans be right. killing them the entire year for the uh, for the cheating scandal. They got the Twins, who... the who wilted in the postseason pressure, and now they go play Oakland. So I th- what do you think about that series? You know, I think o- um, Houston has a puncher's chance because before this best two of three against the White Sox, uh, you know, Oakland has not done well in recent decades in postseason. Uh, they, that, that team just doesn't – their game – it doesn't play well in, in the playoffs. Uh, so I, I think – I would make Houston the slight favorite in this. They've got the experience, although Oakland has postseason experience as well. Um, I, I would make Houston the, the slight favorite in this series. Yeah, I would. I would agree with that. I don't trust the A's come playoff time. And the well, there you go. That's basically how I feel. Yeah, go to the National League side for a minute. The Dodgers obviously are through. We're recording on Friday, so the two of the series are not done yet. The Dodgers are through. The Braves are through. I think the Dodgers are the favorite, but like, who do you think that's left could really challenge them? Well, I mean, I I think they're clearly the favorite. Okay, okay, and I think the team that would have the best chance to to uh, topple them w- would be the Braves. Uh, you know, the other teams that were, are remaining, and you know, 
when we're talking here, we don't know which teams have advanced in the remaining games, so it's hard to say. But, you know, I mean, it's hard to say right now that the Padres would have a puncher's chance because, you know, they ain't in yet. Yeah, I think the Dodgers also has a lot of pressure on them, too, because this team was clearing away the best team in baseball in terms of record-wise this year. They dominated the NL West. I think, I know it's a short season, but I feel like there also is a lot of more pressure building on them considering their roster to actually come through and win for the first time since 88. Oh, there's a lot of pressure on the Dodgers. This is, you know, world championship or bust, and that's the way it always is with the Yankees, although they have not even been in a World Series since 2009. But, um, you know, the best teams may be there, but we don't know. I mean, Tampa Bay, that you know, the little the little engine that could or whatever, uh, it's it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be very very interesting. Yeah, that's for sure. One last question before I let, before I let you go. I obviously you know I'm a big Met fan. They big news with them is they missed the playoffs, but they do have a new owner coming in. Assuming Steve Cohen is approved by Major League Baseball, you have any thoughts on what this ownership change will mean for the Mets going forward? Well. <laughs> You know, it, it it's going to mean a lot. Uh, you know, uh, I think Mets fans have to be very excited. Look, I'm not going to denigrate the Wilpons. Uh, they were there for many years. Uh, they, they, you know, they, they had some success. Uh, but, you know, probably time for a change. And there's going to be significant changes. Uh, but, we, you know, we don't know anything about Steve Cohen as a baseball man. You know, we didn't know anything about George Steinbrenner. You know, who at his press conference in 1973, you know, said, I, I'm not here to run things. You know, Mike Burke's going to be in charge of the baseball. I'm a shipbuilder. I'm going to go back to shipbuilding. Yeah, how did that work out? <laughs> so we don't know how much Steve Cohen's going to insert himself. Now, I will tell you that I do believe Steve Cohen will be much more competitive with the Yankees in terms of payroll, maybe not to that degree. Um, but, uh, but if I was a Mets fan, I would be very excited about pending free agents, you know, whether it be Trevor Bauer or whether it be, you know, JT Riomulto, uh, I, I would be very excited if I was a Mets fan. Yeah. He also won me over immediately by saying he's going to bring back Sandy Alders, who did a great job building a pennant winner and giving them like a billion dollar rotation. That unfortunately did not take advantage. I think Sandy coming back is also huge for that franchise. Well, listen, Sandy is a stand up guy, a solid exemplary baseball man, former Marine. I mean, I can't say enough good things about Sandy Alderson. So if you have Sandy Alderson at the top of your baseball operations, uh, I, I, I think you're in, you're in pretty good shape. All right, there we have it. That was Rick Cerrone from Baseball Digest. Rick, thanks for coming on today. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, you want to tell people how they can follow social, uh, Baseball Digest on social media and some – I know you got the award show coming out when the podcast drops today where you're revealing the Player Pitcher of the Year awards on MLB Network. Yes, we're going to be uh, our, our 52nd Player of the Year uh, awards will have been announced. Uh, pitcher of the Year, Relief Pitcher of the Year from our Blue Ribbon panel of 17, you know, former players, managers, executives, broadcasters, writers. Um, you can follow Baseball Digest on Twitter at Baseball Digest. You can subscribe by simply going to BaseballDigest.com where we've got a great offer of our print uh, product, the print publication, six times a year. Plus, you can also get with that subscription digital access to every issue in the history of Baseball Digest. That's a tremendous value. I'll definitely be looking into that. Rick, thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. Okay, Mike, anytime. All right, and there you have it. That was Rick Cerrone from Baseball Digest. A lot of fun stuff in that conversation with Rick. 
Up next, our two mid drill. I'm going to get into the Brooklyn Nets and what they have coming on for them right now. This news about this coaching situation that Kyrie and Kevin Durant brought up right after this. The two minute drill. All right, we are back here. Two minute drill time. I know the Nets hired a new coach over us. I did not get a chance to get into it because there's a lot going on with getting ready for f- football and all that, but. They did bring in Steve Nash to be the new head coach, replacing interim job forms, replacing the fired Kenny Atkinson. Obviously, unknown as a head coach, Steve Nash worked with the Warriors, the developmental guy, developmental assistant. He figured KD knew him, gave him the rubber stamp approval, had influence on the hire. Jock Vaughn, still on the staff, by the way, the interim who did wonders this team in the bubble. I mean, they brought nobody down there. They were feisty in, in there. They upset the Bucks. They upset the Clippers. They had some fun in the bubble. He's still on the staff, which I admit is odd, but I guess it does sort of fit in that Sean Marks, Spurs, like, organizational culture models. They figure Vaughn's part of the culture. Okay, I buy that. You figure, okay, maybe this is a new age approach. And, you know, Jock's going to support the new guy. All that great stuff. That thinking changes a little bit. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, the two stars of his team, Kyrie went on Kevin Durant's new podcast, the et cetera's, and said the following is courtesy of ESPN's Royce Young. Quote, I don't really see us having a head coach. Irving said on Durant's new podcast, the et cetera's. Quote, KD could be a head coach. I could be a head coach. Durant followed up by agreeing with Irving, calling it a, quote, collaborative effort and naming assistant and former interim head coach Jacques Vaughn as someone who could fill the role on any given day. What does that tell you, Nets fans? That tells you that Steve Nash is basically a puppet. The head coach of the Brooklyn Nets is whoever Kyrie or Kevin Durant feels like should be the coach that day. Some days it could be Steve Nash. Some days it could be Kevin Durant. Some days it could be Kyrie Irving. Some days it could be Jacques Vaughn. Maybe some of the other assistants behind the coach. And I get the arguments that come here. You could say, well, LeBron runs his team, and LeBron basically gets his team to the final all the time. LeBron obviously helped pick the coach. He helped pick Frank Vogel. And if you're a superstar in the league, you do get that kind of power. If you're in the NBA and you don't like the coach, you can just say, fine, I'm going to leave. And the, the organization is going to back down on the player. So if Kyrie and Kevin Durant wanted Steve Nash to be here, he was going to be here. If they wanted somebody else, they were going to hire somebody else. The difference is LeBron, I feel like, lets Frank Vogel actually be the coach of the team. You don't see LeBron on the sideline drawing up the plays. You don't see LeBron drawing up the substitution patterns, deciding who's going to have a little management day, like, is there collaboration? I'm sure there is, but you saying that you're going to be the head coach, that's something different. And it's clear to me that these comments, and you might say, oh, maybe they were misinterpreted, maybe they're just talking about like collaborative, like, oh, we're going to be in the room together, we're going to talk strategy out, and when the game starts, we're going to play and Steve's going to coach. To me, I think this just tells you that this team, as we suspected, has been run entirely by Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Steve Nash has no NBA coaching experience, so it's not like you brought in like Doc Rivers like the 76ers just did to help get this team together. Kyrie and Kevin Durant have championship pedigree, and what they want is going to go. With those two guys, they can say whatever they want. The key here is that, obviously, yeah, you could say this is the price you paid to get the stars here. You have to be right about this, that this can work, because these two guys are only here guaranteed for two more years before they can opt out and go look for another situation they like better. If things go wrong here, let's say they have a bad game or they have a bad stretch where they lose like five of nine 
are Kyrie and Katie going to go stand from the media on the day they're quote unquote coaching? Or is that going to be the day when Steve Nash has to be the head coach and go talk to the media explaining why like the rotation was this, why this play was drawn up, why this was called coming out of timeout, why they made this decision to foul, whatnot. This just screams disaster to me. It sounds like that Kyrie and Katie want to sort of be the coach without being the coach, where if things go well, oh, we had input, we were great, this is awesome, where if things go wrong, oh, Steve Nash had a bad day. This to me screams disaster. If you're a Net fan, you have to hope I'm wrong about this, but I think it's hard when you have the head coach to have his authority being undercut by his two best players by saying, oh, we're collaborative coaches. Maybe this is new agey. Maybe this is something new that is going to work in the NBA. Maybe we talk about collaborative coaches for about 15, 20 years, but I don't see it. I would be shocked if this works. I think this is asking for trouble. Hopefully I'm wrong, that fans. You don't deserve to be where I am, where the Knicks are. We're just completely incompetent. And that's have a chance here. Hopefully they don't screw this up. And that's going to do it for the first half of this week's podcast doubleheader. I want to thank Rick Cerrone for hopping on the call earlier today to talk about the MLB playoffs and some of his thoughts on the world, the world around it. If you want more stuff like this podcast, including my blog post about the instant reaction of that Jets lost to the Broncos last Thursday. The Jets now 0-4. Adam Gase is still here somehow, which is incredible, but the owner seems to not care at all about the fact that this team is going backwards. But I digress. We will... Plug the blog there, justatthesuffering.wordpress.com. You'll subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify, as well as Amazon. Simply search for Just and the Suffering on any of those platforms. All the usual suspects as well. A lot of new podcasters also available, courtesy of our new podcast host, Anchor FM. If you want to check out the podcast, simply search for Just and the Suffering on your favorite podcatcher. It should be there. All real episodes are there, including Rick has been on several times before. You can check out those appearances as well. You can also follow my YouTube channel, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Individual conversations from the episodes will be going up there. Include my chat with Rick will be going on YouTube shortly. Feel free to your feedback and star ratings as well. And I'll make this podcast even better going forward. And please do that. It helps the audiences find new podcasts like this one. They mean a lot. So please do it. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. Again, that's mphillips331 if you want to keep the conversation going. Next up, the second part of our week, we're going to do NFL picks week number five. We're going to do John Stanka, movie talk, and more. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Jets fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.